25. You follow, rate, and review this podcast. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of the Fan Levitard Show. I am your host, Ty, and as you might have guessed, you are listening to our 25th episode. Thank you to everyone who has been with us from the beginning, and thank you to anyone else who might be new to the program. As always, remember to like, follow, and review this program, and follow us on Twitter at Levitard underscore fan. On today's show, we have a serious societal discussion with ESPN's Izzy Gutierrez about some of the issues surrounding the LGBTQ community as we recognize Pride Month here in the USA. Because we do get into some important topics today, I wanted to use this as an opportunity to try to do some good in the world. So if you look in the episode description, you'll find a link to donate to the South Florida Flag Football League. They are an LGBTQIA flag football organization in South Florida, which Izzy happens to be a board member of. So let's show the community and our boy Izzy some love. I've made a donation to the organization and I hope the rest of this community can do the same. Again, that link is in the episode description. So with all that being said, let's get into episode 25. This is The Fan Levitard Show. Ladies and gentlemen, for our 25th episode, I have a very special guest here today, Izzy Gutierrez, you may have seen him on ESPN, on Around the Horn, highly questionable, and occasionally roaming an NBA sideline or two, but of course you all knew and loved him from his time on the Dan Levitard Show. Izzy, welcome into the show. How you doing, man? You good? I'm good, Ty. You good? I'm good. Um, so I want to get started here, and I do... I do want to apologize to the listeners. I want to take this on a heavy, a heavy start so we can get to some of the fun stuff later, potentially. We are officially in Pride Month now, and I feel like it's safe to say that it hasn't gotten off to the best of starts um, with uh, <laughs> Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signing a transgender athlete bill into law on the very first day. Izzy, when you see things like this happening on incredibly important symbolic days... What goes through your head? Like, it has to just drive you crazy. I mean, for starters, it just makes me feel like there is some true evil out there. And it uh, it definitely lives in the, um, I guess, in the capital uh, here in Florida. And, you know, I've been sort of, not sort of, I've been paying attention to these transgender bills since uh, basically the beginning of the year, trying to figure out exactly... Um, you know how this is how this has come about how people are going to respond and essentially you know it's <laughs> let me just let me just go back here you guys you remember uh the bathroom bill right in north carolina oh yes the one that got a lot of probably bad feedback because uh you know because people paid attention to it after a second and they're like hey wait a second let's we, we we're not a fan of that let's and, and north carolina lost a lot of money well the group um let's just say the group most responsible for pushing that agenda uh, was sort of taken aback by the lack of support that it had or the blowback because they thought, hey, America would agree with go to the bathroom that you were born in, but, you know, the, of the gender that you were born. Especially the in the red state were born. at the time. Right. And so this is basically uh, that 2.0. It is 
okay, well, they're not going to agree with bathrooms, but surely they'll agree with sports. And surely, and this is another one that isn't talked about on, you know, our airwaves, but surely they'll agree that children should not decide their own gender or sex and then decide to go through these hormone therapies, which, again, those are the more serious bills that are being passed, frankly. Um, but even that is, that's false information they're giving you. Children don't decide this on their own. It's never a child's decision. It's always children, family, doctors. It's an entire triangle of strength, and they they don't encourage any severe um, actions right away. They encourage uh, essentially puberty blocking, which just sort of delays and give the child more time to think about exactly what's happening. And those who say, oh, puberty blocking, that's so damaging. I mean, they've been doing this for 50 years. It's reversible. It is not damaging. And it is way better than the alternative, which is forcing these children to make these decisions when maybe they aren't ready to. Uh, and so those are the more serious bills that are being passed, frankly. Um, but there aren't a ton Frank, there aren't a lot, period. There aren't many to speak of. Cases across the country of transgender girls uh, making a problem, creating a problem in these schools, right? If you are a child and you are having gender identity issues, you are not thinking to yourself, hey, I'm going to go dominate this sport over here or that have any reasoning as to why you're doing it. And so in the random case, uh, occasional case where there might be a transgender a girl wanting to play with the girls and there might be a physical uh, dominant situation going, well, that can be addressed individually. But what's happening here is they're creating a false narrative. Um, there's, there, are, there are no such, there is no overwhelming uh, cry for this law. In fact, you know, 2%, I think, of youth identifies transgender and less than that even play sports. And then less than that would even be a problem if you will, uh, in, in, in sports or in, in those uh, schools. So they're not solving a problem. They're creating a problem that doesn't exist and then setting this tone, which is a tone of exclusion, okay? So think about if you, like, if you were to just guess, like off the top of your head, how many young girls are sitting at home crying, saying, oh, dad, mom, there's this boy who thinks he's a girl and he's playing on our team and it just makes me very sad. Um, how many of those do you think are around the world versus children who are struggling with their gender, gender identity and believe that they might be of the opposite, you know, a, a transgender person. And then they're being told essentially, no, you can't play with anybody like you. You are not one of us. And you put our girls in danger, Ty, in effing danger. OK, that's why Governor DeSantis had his little daughter up there. Uh, I mean, just using her as a puppet, which is just sickening, just epic sickening when that girl has no idea what her opinions are yet on, on any of these matters. Right. She might grow up to think her dad is a complete ass. And frankly, she should. She'd be right. But, um, yeah. And so, like, think about how terrible that feels. And further, like what those children are going to do to themselves, they're going to self-harm. They're going to attempt suicide some of them are going to be successful at it and it's because of assholes like this who are preaching this exclusion which if you go throughout history it's never the right side of history exclusion is never the way to go 
you know, keeping people out who don't because you don't understand them has always been the wrong way. And history has shown that. And yet we keep trying to do this over and over. So they're trying to do this with sports. They're trying to do this in the medical field. And frankly, idiots are falling for it. And I'm glad you started here because this has got me worked up for the rest of it. Um, You know, you've got Caitlyn Jenner, just a complete like the opposite of the person that you want to hear on this subject because she is just entirely self-involved on this and has been shown to not be a a supportive or or just a knowledgeable, frankly, LGBTQ supporter, uh, despite her her you know presence as a trans person. Um, comes out and says, you know, the stupid Republican talking point. Oh, yeah, girls should play with girls. That, that's exactly what's the case. I don't know how anybody could argue that. So now you've got everybody who has not even touched on the subject saying, hey, if Caitlyn Jenner thinks this and, you know, A plus B or two plus two equals four, then it must make freaking sense. You and your, your you know, sensitivity to everybody get out of here. Well, no, Caitlyn Jenner, I, I believe, is running for for office in California, yes, right? Running for governor, and so of course, running for governor. Excuse me, and so of course she's going to mimic or echo whatever Republican talking points are out there because that's the side that she has chosen. So don't you know all this is just effing maddening. It's just an attempt to 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 like write discrimination into our law books before people even recognize what the fuck they're doing. And when I say people, I mean, you know, the idiots who are arguing, oh, yeah, girls and girls, that makes all the sense in the world, without giving it any thought whatsoever. There is nobody complaining about this shit. There is nobody complaining about it and say we have to do something about it. Nobody. And yet they're, they're trying to preemptively create discrimination. It's complete bullshit. Izzy, I have a theory, and I'd be curious to know if you agree with me. Take a big swig of that one. And I'm going to right? stop right there, Ty. No, I'm going to stop you right there, because I told you when we started that I was playing in a poker tournament as I'm doing this, and I could multitask. That did not allow me to multitask. <laughs> I missed about four hands right there, but it was worth it. My apologies. <laughs> so so to continue down that, that train of dialogue, um, I have a theory that all throughout human history, you can draw a through line between lots of these situations. And I think the biggest and most successful tool for driving hate is the process of dehumanization. You look just in our country. It's the reason why um, the right to vote was withheld from women and African Americans for so long. It's the reason why gay marriage took so long to become law of the land here. It's the reason why we're seeing so many of these transgender bans coming in now. It's how genocides are allowed to happen in plain sight. Um, it's all about just withholding these basic human rights from these groups. And the logic goes, you know, if these groups can have their basic human rights withheld, then they must be less than human. Therefore, they do not deserve any of these, and they can be treated in whatever manner that the, I guess, ruling party or class would would pretty much deem. It's how I thought of myself growing up entirely was less than because I wasn't protected, so clearly must something must be wrong with me. Exactly. And, and I don't, and I have no idea what that feels like. Like I'm not even part of a marginalized group. I am straight and white. I I should have no issues whatsoever. And I am just, I'm looking at all of these movements, whether it be Black Lives Matter, the, the right for LGBTQ rights, um, for all of this stuff. And it just feels like such a Sisyphean task to get over that hump where, you can finally achieve equal rights for everybody and just basic human dignity for everybody. And I, from, from someone who is just watching from the outside in and, and trying to lend as much support as possible, like 
I frankly, I don't know how how marginalized people stay sane. It seems just like a maddening endeavor. Yeah. And that's the other thing is transgender people in particular, uh, you know, in terms of staying sane or frankly staying alive. Yeah, they're they're more at risk than others, statistically speaking. And so this is just more harmful than, you know, people realize. And and, you know, it's not just the idea of, you know, you're not knowing something and, and, you know, therefore you're harming people by just going with the popular opinion or just going with the, um, you know, the push narrative. But, you know, I think of um, I think of like the idea, the reason that we feel so jarred when we think of transgenders, because it seems like such an extreme, right? It seems like such a long way to go to say, hey, I was born this way, but I'm the opposite of this. Those who are saying that, you know, or dehumanizing and saying that transgender people are less than human, um, they're basically responding to their own doing because they have continued to pound home the idea that there is man and there is woman and there is a family and there is no in between. There is nothing else, uh, despite the fact that there has been proof that there is plenty uh, more. So it's just it's funny. It's sad. It's it's frustrating. And you know, I've never been somebody who's been even the slightest bit like political. I know this sounds stupid because, you know, I'm on ESPN and everybody thinks it's the left-leaning <laughs> media and you must be political and you talk about all this stuff. And like, I've never thought about these things as politics, but now they are politics because you're writing it into, into you know, into the law. And so do I think that that person across from me, a transgender person across from me deserves every single right and every single protection that I do? Yes. Is that politics? No. You start writing it into the law that they do not. Well, then you're creating the political situation. And now I all of a sudden apparently I'm political, but I am not. I'm not whatsoever. I just believe, like you're saying, like human rights are the most basic of rights. And the fact that, you know, people dehumanize you, it's just like, you know, what do you think we are? Like, what are, are we just a different species that just happen to be around? And it's just like, oh, you know, it's the gay folks and, and the trans. They're not the same. I'm like, what the hell do you think we are? It's just so it's so narcissistic it's just infuriating i think there's actually a bit of a parallel there between you know what we're talking about there and the dehumanization uh as it relates specifically to like marginalized groups but also i think just bringing it back to sports what we've seen with fans and their attitudes and actions towards athletes lately like dehumanizing the athletes and listen I don't think it's a surprise that a lot of the athletes that this is happening to happen to be people of color. They happen to be African-American. They happen to be um, experiencing these in cities that have, you know, not the best history of uh, inclusion and acceptance, like up in Boston. I'm sorry, Boston, you seem fine, never been there, but, you know, you got to kind of own it at this point. Like, I just, I don't know where it is, where we are in society that it's gotten so easy to dehumanize people. And we've lost complete sight of that. You know, I think the closer we get, the smaller we get, right? Because the internet and, you know, technology has brought us all literally closer together and at each other's fingertips. I just think the, um, the more, the more we seek people similar to us, the more we create these echo chambers and the more we just seek what we want to believe and never, never want to change. Um, or never try changing. And like, it's just super disappointing. Like I, you know, when you hear or listen or read people reach out to you and they're just like, oh man, look, you're just wrong on this one. Like this is, you know, girls need to play with girls and it's just not, I'm a, I'm a parent. And it's just like, don't, don't 
like pretend that because you have a child or that you've like, uh, you know, that you have studied this or have done any research on this or have any real opinion on this. People just want to believe that they're right. And I feel like that's just been more available to them, you know, Facebook groups and all this, you know, social media and, and, you know, different social media apps for different kinds of people. Right. Um, it's just, yeah, it just makes me believe that they're not like hopeless or helpless, but if you're just going to be again, reiterating everything that you believe or seeking out people that just confirm what you believe, then you're just going to strengthen that. You're just going to believe that you're right. And, and you're never going to for a second, like, take the opposite side. And, you know, I was on Twitter for, you know, several years. I'd sort of backed off earlier this year for about two months. And then I came back on recently, I want to say within like two, three weeks. And I hate it there. Like, I hate it. Um, it makes me have less faith in humanity. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like I'd rather I'd rather be a little naive and say that, you know, I'm impacting or people can have impact um, just by living my everyday life and not having to be on social and not really being in touch with what's happening. But I think I'd just rather do that for my own you know, peace of mind and mental health, if you will, because like if you sit there and realize the masses that you have to uh, get through to, to, to actually have people understand something as simple as, you know, in my discussion with the transgender uh, topic is, hey, this is not a problem. It's a created problem. And they're trying to write it into the law books. And the response is, yeah, but girls play with girls, so it's okay. And it's just like, no, like, you don't understand. And so it, it's just, I don't know why it's worse. I don't know. I just think people, it's just, you know, you, you get you get in a group and you get egged on and you get more confidence. And I think, yeah, people that pro probably just believe that they have more supporters because of whatever it is, social or media or whatever, Um and they just act out and it's so disheartening and it makes me not want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Is it true or false? The internet was a mistake. No, it was not a mistake. How it was managed was a mistake, but that's a whole different subject. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I feel like I've, I've battered and beaten you down enough on the heavy stuff. So I'm going to try to switch to something a little lighter. Uh, you want to actually talk some sports or something just a little bit? Wouldn't anything be a little lighter? Like we can go, <laughs> we, we can go into other crises and it wouldn't be as, a, as, as heavy as that, but yeah, let's do some sports. All right. <laughs> So at the time of this recording, uh, the news has been breaking all day that Coach K is stepping down from his time at Duke. 41 years, five national titles. He's been part of the U.S. men's Olympic basketball team and just like the national team in general. He's got one more season at Duke left now. And I have two questions here. One, did this news take you by surprise? And two, what do you think the actual narrative around Coach K is going to be compared to some of the other basketball coaches that span eras um yes it did take me by surprise um in fact we had finished shooting highly questionable today and um i have a home studio and so i had turned it all off i had you know cleaned my face off and uh <laughs> then got a text a little bit after that saying hey uh i need you to come back because coach k uh <laughs> is probably retiring and i was like hey how about that and so, you know, I did all, did all everything I had to do. And uh, <laughs> I was thinking of myself because, like, I hadn't read anything. And, like, this is probably too much information, but I hadn't read anything yet. And because it was immediately like, hey, we got we to gotta sit down. 
And my first thought was, oh, Bomani can do this in his sleep because, you know, North Carolina college uh, info is just something he is very, very, very strong on, which is almost everything. And then the next thing was, huh, this is what is getting him out. Like the game changing, recruiting changing, the, you know, the other options for other leagues, you know, you're just not seeing, I mean, outside of maybe Gonzaga, if they can maintain this, you're just not seeing the the picture there of, hey, I can I can dominate for a long time because of this. It just makes everything a lot harder. And so I was like, wow, he didn't take an NBA job. He didn't, you know, go media or something or just something that would just be another step up. It was just, wow, it's just Duke. Like, that, that's it. And I, I just thought he would have maybe tried the NBA. I thought he would have, maybe not want to say try another school, but yeah, I think he would have done something a little different, but it was just like, oh, maybe this has just been too much for him. And at the game in college is changing so much that he can't maintain a high level. And uh, yeah, it's that was pretty much my reaction. I, it wasn't like shock. But what do you think, you know, when we pull back and look at his legacy, like where are we going to include him? I, I, <laughs> I'm kind of like Dan in this respect. I don't like the traditional sports radio thing of like, who's your Mount Rushmore of coaches, but yeah, no, I forgot about that part of the question. I think eventually, like, I think he came out pretty clean, like for the most part when it comes to college coaches. So I think like it's a legacy that's, it's going to be like 98% positive. I think some of the stuff that's going to be negative was just his temper, a little bit of his aggressiveness toward referees and stuff like that. Um, he, that, that's the kind of guy he was he just, you know, he was a competitor and he let, he let it all out. He was fiery as hell. Um, and so I'm saying, he is fiery as hell. <laughs> he hasn't passed away or anything, but you know, I don't think that there's ever going to be somebody else like that, that, you know, takes a college school. That's not really that successful and becomes an absolute powerhouse for decades. Like that's, that's not happening again, just the way college basketball is built. And so, um, I think he'll go down as, you know, just highly, highly thought of and you get, you know, a little stain here and there, but who's really going to remember that? So I think a lot of us were surprised to see that the U.S. men's Olympic three on three basketball team <laughs> failed to qualify for the Olympics. I was very much in that boat. And then I started looking over at the roster that we trotted out for that. And I'm going to read this off. We were headlined by Robbie Hummel. Dominique Jones, Kareem Maddox, and Joey King. Uh, no one in that group has played in an NBA game. I'm sure they're all fine basketball players in their own respects. I remember Robbie Hummel at Purdue. But NBA players, they can compete in the Olympics on the traditional five-on-five -five basketball team. I'm a little curious why they can't play three-on-three, -three, especially when the U.S. women's three-on-three -three team includes all active WNBA players and they qualified with ease. It, it just seems strange to me that the NBA would draw a line at five on five versus three on three. Izzy, do you have any thoughts on that? So honestly, I have not really uh, given much or put much effort into the three on three Olympics. Uh, so I, you know, probably know as much as you do or less than you do on this one. Um, <laughs> I do believe that there is something to the effect of like when you qualify and it's sort of overlapping with the NBA season, maybe um, and that's why they need non-NBA players. But here's where I want to go with this is why not like retired players? Like I'm down if I'm the USA to take like 
you know, Dwayne Wade, uh, somebody else who just retired recently, but, you know, a couple other guys are in good shape and just like, just go, go win a gold medal at this stage in your career. Just, uh, you know, pile that onto the trophy list. Uh, that's the way I would rather go with it. I know it's, it's probably more of a fulfilling opportunity for these young guys who haven't made the league or wouldn't be, you know, pros or household names in any way in basketball going into their professional careers. Uh, do we really care about that or do we want to win some medals? And so I, I would say like you put together three recently retired NBA players and they'd probably dominate that thing. Yeah, like I was reading through the bios and the U.S., uh, I guess, official Olympic website had Robbie Hummel listed as uh, one of the top three-on-three basketball players in the world. And I just couldn't help but pause. I'm like, how... That is a sentence that has never been uttered ever. There is no such thing as, like, being specifically great at three-on-three, at least not in, like, the mainstream sports world. They were were (laughs) writing about him like he decided... He made a career move like, oh, I'm going to step away from five-on-five and focus on three-on-three because this is where (laughs) I'm going to carve my path. So it's like a hard... Yeah, like hardwood volleyball, like indoor volleyball to beach volleyball. Yeah, it's not, it's not a thing. Yeah, and like <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not convinced that uh, we couldn't throw like David Bertans out there from Washington, and he wouldn't be a better three-on-three basketball player at this point. Than you Robbie can Hummel. take three guys from the league who don't, who aren't in a rotation, and say, hey, you guys, take like the middle of the season off, go, go qualify for the three-on-three tournament. Then when you're done with the season, boom, you can go get a gold medal. Like it could just be like. Yeah, I'm not going to come up with three bench names off the top of my head, but yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what they should it's do. It's like, take take players who are in the NBA but are on, like, two-way contracts. Take them from the G League if you have to. Like, they can they can fill a spell in the NBA, they can go win as a gold medal, and then they can come back and continue playing for the Mad Ants. That just feels like a, a better solution than, than trotting out Joey King, who... You know, I feel bad. I don't know who the fuck that is, Izzy. I don't know that. I, I was going to say, I was waiting for you to say something about him. So I was like, is that? So you don't know who Joey King is either. <laughs> no. All righty. Well, that no makes idea, me feel but better. I hear he's one of the best three-on-three players in the world. Well, that's only Robbie Hummel, isn't I don't know anything about this Joey King kid. Maybe, maybe he's good, maybe he's not, but. Man, yeah, just looking over that name, it was, or that list, it was not inspiring at all. Uh, yeah. So, folks, a little uh, behind the scenes here. As we have been doing this, Izzy has been competing in a poker tournament. And I'm curious, Izzy, how are you doing right now? You up? You down? Well, there's only five people left, so I think I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> okay. How many, wait, how many people were, were in this to begin with? I don't know. Hang on. Let me see. Such an, all right, I'm going to look for the first person to have been knocked out. This was like a pop-up tournament, so it couldn't have been that many. I think there was 16. All right. All right. That's pretty So good. it's just two tables, basically. And I have, I pro- sitting out all those hands when I was talking about the serious stuff was probably good for me because uh, I won a couple of big hands and now I'm second in chips at the table. I can just sort of sit it out for a while and see. I could probably finish it off too easily. Anyway. Do I, uh, if you're going <laughs> to sit out some hands, can I uh, throw some more tough questions your way? Fire away. <laughs> So, okay, I don't want to I don't want to laugh going into this because this is another another heavy one. But it has been almost a year now since you went on Lauer After Hours and had what I think a lot of people would agree was a very revealing personal episode that you really opened up about love, loss, grief following the sudden death of your ex-husband. How are you doing in general? Like how is Izzy Gutierrez the person these days? 
Um, man, see, I wish I could just kind of skim over that answer and just say it, answer it the way most people do, but I can't. Like, I have to be brutally honest. And like, it's it's a constant struggle. Like, um, you know, everything that I went through last year at the time, like even just going on that podcast that you mentioned was just very helpful. And I did put some version of closure on on that, on just like the personal part of my life that just ended at that point. Um, but man, it's, it's, it's been pretty, pretty tough. Like there's, there's not a day. And this is interesting because when we were split up, like after we divorced and like before I had any idea that he was ill, I really, and just to catch you up uh, or to, to catch anybody up who didn't listen. Um, I basically didn't know until about 10 days, two weeks before he passed that, that he had was even ill it, it was just very sudden. And um, yeah, so before that, before I found out that he was ill, uh, didn't think about him. Like that part of my life was over and it was, hey, you know, uh, good luck to you. Hopefully everything works out for the best. But now, like not a day goes by that I don't think about him and just something comes up. Now, frankly, like uh, I have this tattoo on my left wrist, which is a D. Uh, in old English, and that's D for David, his old, uh, his first initial. And um, this, I had planned on getting it covered, but now I don't think I am. And that probably doesn't help, you know, in terms of like n- being able to not think about him. But there's just there's just other times where you know I'm, I'm on a trip somewhere, and you know something reminds me, and so. Yeah, that part's just tough because it just makes you think like who deserves what, you know? Mm. And um yeah, it's just it's still constantly difficult. Um and you really like you really need to focus on the good things and just, you know, I can do that, like I'm fine, uh, in terms of you know, loving people around me, but it's still just hard, you know. It's sometimes it's it's just hard to to deal with it and to think about it. And I'm somebody who very much like puts others first. And yeah, it just sucks. It just sucks that uh, he couldn't live a full life. And so it's been difficult overall. Like I think, you know, like I think I'm pretty good, but uh I think it's a struggle for everybody. Like I was, it's funny because I was talking to or talking about this Naomi Osaka stuff all the time the last few days. And, you know, when she says she's going through depression, yada, yada, and she's talking about like the, the anxiety and the stress of, of being in front of the media. And like, I feel all of that stuff, like a lot, you know, I feel the, the constant like anxiety of, doing everything right and making sure that you're not, you know, publicly looked at the wrong way, but also just like the anxiety of, Hey, I just, I'm just trying to be a good person and do well. And like, if I get upset because some jackass is, it's being evil. Like that's not me being mean. It's just, I'm just trying to be nice. You know, I'm just trying to get, to a place where, you know, everybody can, can be happy and like get along. And obviously that's, you know, utopia, utopia bullshit, but, um, it is, 
it's stressful all the time. And like, I get exactly what she's talking about. Like, even just like, I just going back on Twitter, like, and seeing how everybody interacts after two months of not like being on it. Like, I hate it there. I literally hate it there. I hate people yelling at each other. I hate like the fact that nobody's, you know, learning anything from being on there. Um, and so it's, it's always a constant struggle. And so, hmm. Um, so I think by the way I'm answering that, it tells you I'm not a hundred percent. Okay. But <laughs> like, I'm good. Like I've got, I've got a lot of, uh, a lot of goals. I've got a lot of support. I've got a lot of, um, confidence knowing that I am doing the right things. And yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm glad that this isn't a visual medium. <laughs> Well, yeah, I can, I can, I can very clearly see that there is still some hurt on your face. And, you know, I want to, I want to thank you for, for opening up about all this stuff, because, you know, 2020 was, was awful for everyone for various different reasons. I can't imagine going through what you were going through on top of the entire world burning down all around us. And, you know, as, as it pertains to the uh, Naomi Osaka conversation and just the mental health conversation, that is something that um, is very, very personal to me. 2020, I've, I've dealt with an anxiety disorder since I was in high school. Um, and 2020, it, it ravaged me. Like it, it was, it was bad. I, I wound up in February in the back or uh, with paramedics uh, running um, test on my chest because I thought I was having a heart attack. I just pulled into my doctor's office with every every part of my body numb, thinking like this is it. I'm I'm dying. Um, I, just for added color to the story, I'm an incre- incredibly hairy individual. I have a very hairy chest, so in order to do whatever like EKG or whatever, they had to shave my chest. Uh, the paramedics did in the middle of my doctor's office, so. That was a fun experience, only to be told, yeah, your your heart looks and sounds great. Okay, neat. Um, that that ravaged me for a while, and I'm only like just now feeling like I can get back to to normal there. And so, like, so I I want to stay there for a second because I think sure. you know anybody who listens can hopefully um, can gain from that. But like, you know, my partner Anthony and I've never experienced this before. Um, he had had. Uh, panic attacks a couple of times and it, he had never experienced it before and I've never experienced somebody doing that oh by the way I take that totally back in terms of not to go from super serious to not so serious no this is how um, I roll there were more people in this tournament because now I'm at a table I guess I'm at the final table now so there's there's still 10 of us in this thing so anyway yeah uh, and I can fight through some tears because I am the chip leader right now at this final table. <laughs> Woo! And I just got dealt queens. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. I just All right, got let's pause, 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 pause. Gotta... Put a pin in that. You tell me where I was. I'll be right back. <laughs> Izzy, walk us through this hand. What's what's going on? All right, so I'm about to raise a big blind by three with my, uh, you know, three times a big blind. I'm raising it to 9,000 with my queens. Uh, there so far had been... No collars. Now we're getting to the small blind, small blind folds. Big blind is thinking about it. Big blind is still thinking about it. He doesn't want that smoke. And, you know, oh, big blind folds. 
ooh, somebody else calls. So there's two players, and the flop comes eight, five, king, two, two hearts. Franco Gay TFA checks. I don't know why he has gay in there. That's a totally coincidence. I'm going to go ahead and bet a big number. I'm going to bet 6,000, see what he says. I'm afraid of that king. This could be a check raise. And this guy's got some money. Mm. Ah, he folded. I won the hand. Okay, Uh, I am definitive chip leader at the moment. What was I saying? uh, Your partner having (laughs) a uh, panic attack. All right. And so we're uh, and so we're at a music festival just to go full detail here, and um, has the has like says, and we're in an RV, mind you, like a camping, you know, uh, music festival, and he's like, call nine one one, call nine one one, like something's wrong, and he's like, you know, like looking at his hands and like doing opening them and closing them a bunch, and I'm like. You look fine, but I don't want to say that to him. I'm like, hey, relax. Give me a second. Let me, let me, you know, see what's going on here. Put my hand on his heart. His heart rate was a little elevated, you know, nothing serious. And I'm like, all right, listen, you seem fine. And if there was anybody in the world who would overreact if you weren't, right? If the slightest thing was wrong, I would tell you. Okay. So, just trust me here for a second and breathe through this. It's probably the weed. <laughs> just, just breathe. And so he did just that, you know, he took his time and he trusted me. And it's just like, there was a couple of times where he was like, no, no, I think it's real. And I was like, Nope, it's just fine. You're good. And so after, you know, it took about an hour, right. After I talked him down, I started freaking out, like not really freaking out, but in my head, I was just like, holy shit. Like, is that what a panic attack is? Because I didn't realize that you feel like you're dying, you know? And so the crazy part is, and I don't want to use the word crazy, but the crazy part is like, it happened to him like four or five or six other times. And every single time I had to remind him. And it's just like, it is so powerful that even though you know from previous experiences that you're not dying, you still think you are every single time. And that to me is just like something people don't understand. Like people hear panic attacks, they're thinking, you know, some overdramatic, you know, person from a reality show and just like, oh my God, the worst thing has happened. It's, no, it's not that. It is so, so much worse than that. And that's why I'm so glad like Kevin Love, for example, like gave voice to that because you know, he left the game and was freaking out in the, you know, in, yes. the, in, in the locker room one time. And that was just like jarring if people would have learned that and not realized, you know, that that is what a panic attack looks and feels like. And so, I, you know, I empathize. Like, I totally understand what you went through. But like my greater point is big, thankful that people talk about this shit now. And like the more you do, the more anybody does, whoever hears it, it's at least relatable. But even then, like, even if you've never gone through one, and you hear people talk about it and then suddenly you're going through one, maybe it'll help. Maybe you can talk yourself down from it quicker. Maybe, you know, you won't overreact to it because, you know, eventually Anthony, he, he'd had a couple more sort of, he could feel them bubbling up and then he could talk his way through them. And he hasn't had one in a couple of years now. And so, yeah, the more, this is what we talk about when we say the more we, we discuss this, the better it is for people. It is literally just that like just understanding what what 
what you're going through in those situations. Well, and I need to shout out my wife, who is an absolute rock star. She she is just so supportive. And um, like today was a day where I went into work late because I woke up this morning. I was getting ready to go to work. And all of a sudden, boom, the anxiety hits. All of a sudden, like I've got to take my use in case of emergency medication. Um, wait for the drowsiness and grogginess to pass, and then I can go in and resume my day. That is progress from last year, where it was like, oh no, I'm just I'm just not going in for a couple of days. Like I've got to let this pass. And she's been great about it. But in 2020, um, in the middle of the night, as we're laying in bed, she she has her first panic attack after seeing me have them. She has her first one, is freaking out, mm. like oh my my chest hurts, my my arm feels a little numb. I'm like. I think I know what this is and let me talk you through it. And just kind of right. the, the same thing in, in your example where you can talk that person through. And once you're on the other side of that, you know, you just have a completely different, I guess, view of it. You can really empathize. Like my wife always said like, Oh, you know, I understand. I understand what you're going through. Like I get that it sucks and stuff like that. But now that she's experienced, she's like, I am yeah. so sorry that you deal with that as often as you do. It's terrible. The people who say toughen up, just get over. It's just like toughen up. Like you put yourself in a situation where you think you're dying and then you say, you know, toughen up. Like you yeah. would be, that's when you become as soft as, you know, as everything. You're just like, oh, if this is it, like, I'm, you know, let me be as vulnerable as possible. Like that's get out of here with that toughen up shit. Like you've never experienced it. And like, I'm not going to say I was one of those people who said that, but I know like growing up and, you know, being closeted and like holding everything in and ignoring the fact that I was missing out on stuff in life. Like I basically did that. I toughed out whatever the hell I needed to tough out. And I took an L as a result. Like I, I, I should have been open and been more vulnerable and gone through, you know, the tough times when I was younger so that I could like actually live my life the way I want to, the way I should have. And so, you know, I'm trying to do that now and trying to be, and this is part of why I just want to be so uh, open and, you know, uh, just vulnerable because like there is really is no other way to be for me. It's just like, why would I want to, if I've been, you know, not myself or not transparent, let's just say through the first 31 years of my life. Like I want to be extra transparent through the rest of it, just to balance that out because that way didn't help me. And so this way is probably going to. To that point, uh, is it fair for me to call you a gay icon or a guy con as Chris <laughs> Cody would put it? Uh, as, as, uh, as far as it goes in like the sports media world, do you, do you accept that label? I mean, there aren't really many of us in term in sports media. So, so by default, say, you know, maybe all of us are. Probably, right? <laughs> um, but you know, it's funny. It's like I, I don't think so because I am not. Um, like I don't really get any sort. How can I put this? Bravo's not calling me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, <laughs> I feel like nobody outside of the sports world knows that I'm a gay. A person, you know, being out there and whatever you want to call it, you know, iconic. I'm not iconic or anything. I'm just saying, like, out there and 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 available and like uh, somebody that people can learn from or or, or gain from or whatever. Um, so yeah, I don't think I am. Like, I think there's a lot of a lot of people sleeping on me, but I don't, <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe 
may, but I, I, the only thing that matters to me, frankly, is just that like the people that do know who I am or that I do reach, um, you know, gain from me being in the position that I am. And, and, you know, what I should do is find a way to put myself out there even more. I've just never really been big on self-promotion or self-confidence in general, but just self-promotion. So it's going to have to take something else or someone else, like either shoving me in the right direction or what, but, um, you know, we'll see. So the, the, I, I could I could get to that status, but a lot of people, a lot more people have to recognize. <laughs> I just I just want to make sure that I have this have this right. The people that are sleeping on you, that is absolutely a wink and nudge at Bravo and Netflix producers to say, give me a TV show. Let's get a pilot and let's work something out. <laughs> I mean, I could at least be like a guest on the show, right? <laughs> like, I understand that maybe like a lot of the viewing audience isn't going to say, uh, Oh yeah, I know that guy. He's on SportsCenter or he's on ESPN. But you know, if they say, "Hey, this is a gay guy who's on ESPN a lot," maybe they'll turn to ESPN. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's win-win there. All right, Izzy, <laughs> I think I have the solution here. You've already got the ABC ties. So random person who's flipping through their TV, maybe they've seen you on ABC working those sidelines as you do. So I'm thinking. The Bachelor right now, they desperately need a reboot and some good PR. I'm not going to suggest you for The Bachelor, but I do think there's usually like once a season when they're doing The Bachelorette that they bring the guys together and they have them do just really physical stuff. Like they have them play football or basketball, just something to <laughs> get them sweaty and just get the testosterone right. going, just wanting to beat the hell out of each other. And they always have like a guest commentator for that. I feel like that could be your entry point right there. Oh, we have hmm. ESPN and ABC's very own Izzy Gutierrez here helping us commentate the action here on the court. You know what? I would totally kill that because I can talk sports and relationships. And <laughs> I I don't really watch that much Bachelor, but this would clearly get me to watch it a lot more. I think that's a winning hand right there. I think we need to run yeah. that right up the ladder to ABC. By the way, now you're just sticking a dagger in my heart by saying winning hand because ever since I said I was a chip leader, I lost half my stack. And now I am fourth at the table uh, and chips and Izzy, it's I, not going well right now. Izzy, what happened there? I was a hundred percent shooting my shot, hoping that you would have a fantastic poker update right there that I could be like, Oh my <laughs> God, I just stuck that landing. I shot my shot and uh, it sounds like it didn't work too well. No, that's a, I mean, I still got some life. I still got, uh, I got about 15 big blinds in me. So we'll how see. many, uh, how many folks are left? We're talking top. How many now? Eight. Top eight, okay. There are eight left. Yeah. No matter what happens, I think you can consider this a successful tournament. It may be a successful yeah. podcast. I don't know. That that's in the eye. Well, of the it's owner. successful if I can do well while paying about thirty percent attention. I think that's that's pretty good. That's true. So actually, <laughs> in Stu Gotts' personal record book, had you paid a hundred percent attention to that poker right. tournament, you would have won. It would be over by now. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I would have everybody all off already. <laughs> well, Izzy. Um, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you. I've I'm sorry that we had to to dive into all the heavy stuff, but it just it, it felt like a conversation that needed to happen. And all right, Ty. So I'm going to be 100 percent honest with you. When I like I was starting, I, I got back home from the gym like two three hours ago, three hours ago, and I'm like, all right, I'm in a good mood. I'm going to be playing some poker later. 
don't really care to talk too much serious stuff. So I feel like if Ty brings this up, I'm just going to kind of joke around with it, whatever, whatever. Didn't work, man, because like I just I can't help myself. Like I got to say something. And so uh, you start off with the one thing that triggered me uh, these days, and I'm not going to not talk about that. And so then when you guys are talking about me, I was already there. So good job out of you. And I'm still in a good mood. So it's not a big, not a big deal. Well, now, well, now I feel <laughs> terrible. I, I, I hate to have ruined your evening. I ruined what seemed like a delightful glass of red wine for you. Um, ah, you didn't ruin my evening. There's more to come. All right. Um, let's see. I want to I want to see if I can end this on uh, on something on like on a high note on something positive. Um, so, OK, you're, you're killing the poker. Izzy. Um, do you own a stuffed animal? Oh, do I own a stuffed animal? No, I don't. That is shocking to me. I have. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, like uh, we just moved into a condo in October, which is less space than normal, at least since we, that we were used to. And so I made some tough decisions in terms of getting rid of some stuff, but I don't think I threw away any stuff to animals. Well, I have a bit of a personal life philosophy that everybody mm. needs a thing. And that thing can be whatever you need it to be. It can be a person. It can be an object. It can be a place. It can be a stuffed animal. Just something that brings you immense comfort in times of stress and woe. And I have a chair to my left that is filled with... I want to say 20 plus stuffed animals have just amassed a, hmm. a, an entire fucking crew of them. They bring me so much joy. And actually this is a fun little uh, Easter egg for, for all the listeners who have been with us now for 25 episodes. I always have one sitting right next to me on my computer. So Izzy, I would like, hmm. I would like to share one of my things with you right here. This is a little bumblebee hey. right here. He's a little derpy. Uh, he's got a lumpy cheek right here, uh, so I was going to call him Bumbles, but now because he's lumpy, I'm calling him Lumbles. He's a lumpy nice. Bumbles. <laughs> little Chris Cody That was an adorable there. little bee. Yeah, so I was just wondering if you had anything like that, like a comfort object of some sort, something something silly that you know to others may seem a little a little silly, but brings you joy. Oh man. I don't really have like a single object, right? Like I do, if you, and this is, I swear I'm not pandering. I swear to, to your particular audience. But <laughs> if you were to look at my house right now, you would see one particular element that is sort of the pop of like color of life in, in the place. Cause you know, my walls are very nice blue. You know, everything else is white. Uh, a lot of furniture is white. So it's a lot of, um, you know, Key West beachy vibes around here. But where I get my pops of color are from Levitard, uh, Levitard's brother. Oh, uh, yeah, Lebo. Is, uh, yeah, Lebo. Lebo, Lebo Studios? Yeah, Lebo Studios, Lebo Art. Um, his pillows, like he's got, I'll show you a couple of them here. Uh, going on a tour, ladies and gentlemen. This is exciting. Yeah, well, here's just, <laughs> this is just one of them here. This little. Oh, that's cute. Cute little rabbit. And there's, I mean, this couch is a mess, but there are some other ones, as you can see, and there's some other ones back there on the bench. Um, and so just little things like that, um, or that, those in particular, just kind of like 
they make me happy. You know, I, I'll go like, and just the way, even this place that we sort of, not we like, I, um, Anthony and I based, like we redid the whole thing. And like, I kind of was the interior designer myself. And like, just looking at this place and like those little like pops of joy and color sitting around, it just kind of makes me like every once in a while, just say, ah, like, I'm very happy about that. It relaxes me. It makes me, um, just makes me a little bit happier than I was a second ago. So I think that's probably the closest thing I have to that. I've never had like a single object or group of, of things that have done that for me though. You know, it's interesting that yours is those Levo pillows because in our house we have a staircase and in the middle of that staircase, we have a uh, a piece of Lebo art. It's an owl with the phrase, always there is hope right at the top. And I make mm. sure to put that there. So I see that every morning as I'm going downstairs, it's just like a little, same same thing, just a, a little burst of color, a nice little motivational message to start the day. And I think there's something to it. I, I really do think. Oh, there I think there's something... a lot to that. Yeah. The other thing I love is my Nespresso machine. Sorry. That was the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> that that makes me comfortable at all times today. <laughs> Plugging it. <laughs> well, Izzy, uh, hopefully that that is a little a little rainbow to to end in the evening on right there. Um, after we dug through all the the muck and the dark stuff, hopefully that that was able to put a little bit of a smile on your face there at the end. Yeah, I wouldn't call that other stuff dark. I would just call it heavy. But it's I would say enlightening is probably better because. Uh, I think a lot of people need to be enlightened on those subjects. Well, that's very true. Izzy, if the people want to find you, where can they find you? It sounds like Twitter may not be the the best avenue to reach you on. Nope. Uh, Find me on Instagram, Mr. Iz Gutierrez, M-R-I-Z-G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z. And uh, that's going to be your best option. All right. Well, (laughs) Izzy, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And listen, one last update before we go. Where are things sitting on poker right now? Uh, we are down to the final five. However, of these five, I am low stacked right now. I've only got, God, these blinds. I've only got three big blinds left in me. This has happened very quickly. Uh, oof. And I got a shit hand right there. So I might not be, might not be here for long. Uh, this is devastating, but if somehow you rally to win, uh, this podcast would like at least a little bit of credit on that because I helped distract you through some of the early hands, which we both know were terrible anyway. You were going to lose on those hands anyway. You didn't need them. You just you know what? I'll shout you out on Twitter. Oh, there we go. Listen, no, no, I'm gonna I won't get... do that. I won't do that. <laughs> I'm gonna say, oh, I'll get the easy bump. Fantastic. No, I'm not getting that. <laughs> I won't be on there. That's my point. Uh, that's probably smart. I'm off Facebook for the very same reason. Like, this is a sense. Oh, yeah. I jumped off place. Facebook a long time ago. The only one I'm, I am not uh, courageous enough to bail off of is Instagram because you got to do something when you're on the toilet. Instagram can be. <laughs> Uh, you you are like me in that case. Like I would rather do anything on the toilet exp- except actually like use the toilet. <laughs> like that's just my momentary escape. I mean, there's time to kill there, you know. Yeah. There's no newspaper like there used to be. You just gotta scroll through Instagram. That okay. Hold on. <laughs> I thought I was done. I'm not done. Are does that that would seem to suggest that you are a slow pooper, Izzy? Is that true? Um, if you've got to keep no. if, you, if you've got to kill time no, on there, the toilet. I, I, I don't think I have like, I don't think I have like a. Are you Mike Ryan? Do you have that type of bowel blockage? No, no. Like I go all the time. That's the thing. It's like, I don't have a, I'm very regular. I don't have a consistent 
pattern to any to to like you know my poops. So you know sometimes, but even if it's just a little bit of time, like you need to kill a few minutes, right? Instagram. What am I gonna do? Stare at the wall? A few minutes. Look at you, speed racer, <laughs> showing off now. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, quite regular, four or five times a day. It's very fitting for this podcast to end on a poop joke. So that's where we're actually leaving it. Izzy Gutierrez, everybody. Thanks again, man. <laughs> <laughs>